You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 216. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and I am super excited about this topic we're going to cover today. Thriving organizations face a critical dilemma as they grow. How to preserve the startup culture that drove early successes while scaling operations in a way that avoids the usual bureaucratic traps. In this episode, We're going to talk about simple, proven, effective techniques to scale profits and impact without unnecessary overhead and without spawning the silos and fiefdoms that tend to foster localized thinking over organization-wide success. So stay tuned because we're diving into what it's going to take to scale profits and impact, not a bureaucracy. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by Keedin. Keedin offers dynamic project portfolio management software for growing and scaling results-driven PMOs. What makes Keedin unique is that unlike complex, hard-to-use PPM solutions, Keedin transforms the way PMOs deliver insight-led decision-making through stronger user adoption, exceptional customer experience, and powerful product innovation. Keedin is with you when you start and there for you as you grow, so you can experience a collaborative, customer-focused journey delivered by people who care. Keedin helps you be more than a status quo PMO by helping you adapt to industry trends and become a proactive PMO that embraces change. Experience Keedin's configurable end-to-end functionality that your team will actually use, giving you the ability to grow quickly and scale for maximum portfolio value. Learn more at keydin.com and take your next step to becoming a results-driven PMO. Okay, let's dive in. Now to talk about how you scale profits and impact and not a bureaucracy, I have with me my real dear friend, Mike Hannon. Mike is a leading edge thinker and renegade Hmm, I seem to have a lot of those in my friend network (laughs) (laughs) who believes that we all must do more to unleash our boundless potential and solve increasingly complex global issues. He envisions a community-centric, expert-guided, power-to-the-edge solution to most of these challenges. For leaders and managers, this means open platform approaches to innovating and sharing the most effective management practices. For consultants and other experts, this means that we are too often part of the problem. Ain't that the truth? And need to do a much better job as an industry in channeling our expertise in a way that delivers much greater impact. Oh my goodness. Amen to all of that, Mike. And that's why you and I love to do the kind of fun projects we get to work on together is that we are the anti-typical big, slow, heavy bureaucratic consulting practice, right? Yeah. And in the same breath, we're still consultants. So it's one of those things we have to challenge ourselves with constantly when we look in the mirror and say, when am I 100% part of the solution for this organization we're trying to help? And when do I actually start to become part of their normal fabric? 
meaning not as capable of challenging them and bringing that outside perspective and not caring whether they keep me on for another week or month or whatever and just solve the problem and move on, right? Right. That's so true. It's a very delicate balance. So I appreciate you sharing that. I also want to share with all of you impact drivers that Mike is now a co-host of the Impact Summit. He has been a presenter in the past, our PMO Impact Summits, and now he's a co-host of the newly updated Impact Summit format. And by the way, our Impact Accelerator Mastermind students, which are your peers all over the world, have been begging for me to bring Mike back in because he's shared, he's one of the many thought leaders that we have come in and talk to our Mastermind students and just share like hands-on workshop style problem solving for those delivering PMOs and strategy in organizations. And a longtime real actual friend of mine. We were actually friends first. And then we found out that we had a heck of a lot in common and love working on projects together, which is why we get to do that, the summit, work with clients together and the podcast episode. So Mike covers all the things. <laughs> we may have even shared a PMI rubber chicken dinner or two. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> we were on the board of PMI chapters together as well. So yeah, rubber chicken, the old days. And of course, Mike is also a co-founder of Project Management for Change, the nonprofit that we built together with our friend Kendall Lott many years ago now, which is a thriving organization that's doing really big things to help missions-focused organizations make a bigger impact in the world through the power of project management. So Amen. yeah, we have a lot. Oh my gosh, Mike, we work on a lot of projects together, but I think it's all with the idea and spirit. Like I was just telling my publisher I was talking to earlier today about the book, I'm trying to change the world, baby. So help me do that. Yeah, right on. And you know, there's this, I don't know how viral it's getting, but it's at least gotten viral enough where there's a motivational speaker who named Kara Lawson. Mm -hmm. I think she's like coach for the Duke University women's basketball team. And she has this great motivational speech. It's like two and a half minutes where she basically says, it doesn't get easier. You need to do hard better. Yeah, and that's sort of become like, like my recent rallying cry. How can I do hard better? How can I help my clients do hard better? How, right. how can we up our game, right? Amen. I love it. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. And we want to share some of that passion for doing hard better with all of this community, right? Like I take it very seriously when I say I'm trying to change the world because the people listening to this podcast are the people that are in the position to be the change makers for their organizations. And if they can help their organization deliver on that strategy with a higher return on investment, much faster, getting better business outcomes, then all of those organizations can serve their customers and communities better. So it's a really cool thing to see how much impact we're able to have. Yeah. And that's what we do this podcast. I hadn't thought about it till just now, Laura, but that tees up today's topic really well because if you don't believe that great improvement is possible, then any conversation about changing the world is sort of low impact, let's say. Right, right? meaningless. <laughs> or nibbling at the fringes, right? Making right. marginal incremental improvements, which is fine, right? It's better than tearing it down. Right? right. But I think if you're in this business with the kind of passion that you and I share, you have a fundamental core belief that there is massive untapped potential that's already in our organizations. How do we tap it? Right. One of the ways to do that is what we're going to talk about today. Right. And I mean, this is great because this is the kind of thing we do with our clients all the time, right? We get to work on clients together where the goal is scale. The goal is helping to take an organization. Scale doesn't mean doubling, tripling, or quadrupling your staff, right? That's the mistake a lot of people make with scale is they think that it means just throw more bodies at it. 
But what we go in and do and what we love to do together, Mike, is help organizations figure out how to scale in a way that actually helps to create bigger impact and profits, right? Without throwing a bunch of bodies at it. So it's the anti that, like most of the things that you and I do, it's the anti-typical approach. <laughs> yeah. And you know, in fact, I did have a client once that said, we have scaled our operations dramatically. We've grown fivefold in the past two or three years or whatever it is. And I said, oh, great. So you've been able to scale your profits then. They said, no, 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 we were just scaling the organization. And I was like, well, wait, hang on. If you're scaling the organization and profits are going the opposite direction, eventually that's going to turn negative. Right? <laughs> you follow that trajectory where it's taking you, right? Like, right. You keep growing and growing the organization and be less and less profitable to the point where you might be losing money. Uh-oh, let's call a timeout on that right away. That's funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and so the reason we're spending a little time having this conversation right here is that I want all of you impact drivers listening to think about what we're saying here, right? We want to position you to be the internal consultant to your business leaders and helping them figure out how to scale correctly. We believe that the PMO, the strategy delivery office, the transformation group, the purpose of it is to help an organization scale their profits, scale their impact. And that doesn't mean throwing more bodies at it. That doesn't mean that the profit numbers go down when you add more people to it, when you try to do more. And it's not doing so much that you can't make any progress on anything. So we're having a little bit of this discussion because this applies to all of you, whether you are your own consultant going in and helping other organizations, or if you're inside your organization, we still want you to think of yourself as a consultant and advisor and a guide to your leadership team, asking some of these challenging questions and having some of this dialogue. So that's what we're going to dive into today. Mike, you ready to get started? Yeah, in fact, if you allow, Laura, I want to kind of paint the scenario that I think a lot of scale-up organizations are experiencing all the time, sure. right? You've gotten past the sort of the old saying of the desert is, now I'm goofing it. Innovators have their bones bleached dry in the desert. Right? Oh. <laughs> so if you've <laughs> yeah. made it through the desert as a startup and you're still around and you're growing and thriving, congratulations, right? That's step one, right? Mm -hmm. But now mm -hmm. what? And you're probably facing challenges like, well, we're so big now. We used to, you know, the three founders or whatever you started with, we used to kind of do all the marketing ourselves and we used to do all the sales ourselves and we used to oversee operations ourselves and we used to manage the finances ourselves and we used to run payroll ourselves and we used to do all the hiring ourselves. And now that's just not possible. We're too big. That's not going to scale. So lucky us, we're successful. Let's hire an experienced marketing person because maybe none of us actually were when we started this. And let's mm -hmm. get a VP of marketing. And you know what? That individual needs a team to do something big as we grow. So great. Now they get a team. And what about like a CFO or VP of finance? Like those people are experts in that stuff. None of us maybe were, right? So now we're getting real professionals to be real leaders to take us to the next level. And isn't that great? But you're also probably wondering, hang on, as those teams grow, then the leader of those groups can't manage their own group without having other managers under them. Mm -hmm. So I got 20 people reporting to me. That's not good. I better hire two managers and assign 10 each to them. And now I only manage two people and that's better for me and maybe the organization. But if you keep going where that model takes you, you will find it almost impossible to scale your profits as you scale the organization. Now, unless you're just so ridiculously profitable, your margins are so massive, right? Like some software companies, certainly I could do digital distribution of my product, which is far easier than loading up a, a tractor trailer full of toothbrushes or something and sending it to Walmart. Right. <laughs> just sell it, right? And print it. And it's like the marginal cost of 
having someone download software is practically zero. Unless you're one of those companies that can kind of mask the problem. Right. You need to actually solve this. And the old notion, the old dilemma or the conflict we have in our brains as scale-up leaders is, I know that we're in a position where I need help and I need specialists. Mm -hmm. And I know we have to have more people to kind of do a better division of labor around here, right? Because startup, it's just, everyone's a chief cook and bottle washer, right? And right. <laughs> making it up as we go along. So that's right. great. That we're getting more discipline than that now. We're becoming a real organization with real expertise, real specialization, real scale. Wonderful. But then there's this issue of, well, wait, every time I see a group of more than 10 people reporting to the same boss, I better get another boss in there. And bosses aren't cheap. Right. And even with AI having some promise to get rid of some of that, right, perhaps, this notion sticks. And if you say, well, if I let the team manage itself, like we used to in, in the startup days, how do I know if they're getting a bit off course? I don't have time to monitor them all the time, right? Mm -hmm. If I have a team manage themselves, what happens when something goes wrong and nobody's taking accountability? I prefer to have the old proverbial single throat to choke, keep accountability <laughs> clear, right? If I'm waiting for a decision to come out of a team, that's decision by committee, that takes forever. I need fast decisions. Mm -hmm. So you start talking yourself out of all the things that worked for you as a startup because things are different now as a scale up. And that's true. They are different. You do need expertise and you can afford it, which is amazing, right? It's wonderful. So I'm here today to offer you the best of both, that you can get the experts you need and the specialized input you need on key decisions, but never let go of the core team that's driving the real value, right? Those who are closest to the product or service you actually deliver closest to the pointy tip of the spear where you're actually hearing from customers, whether it's working great or working okay or not working so good, or it would be awesome as if you could just add this, right? All that kind of stuff. Uh, you don't want that filtered through some sales team, some marketing team, some financial benchmarking analysis that somebody in finance did for you or whatever. You want right. the people that are closest to the actual value delivery making those decisions. So the problem with that is, well, wait, if I'm a software company, those are my developers. Right. My developers don't know how to do marketing and don't want to. Right. My developers don't know how to do finance and don't want to. Yeah, and we can keep going, right? Right. But your developers do want to help the organization thrive. They know they're the primary value drivers. They just need experts in finance to help them inform the right decision or an expert in marketing to show up. So my suggestion is hire those experts, but don't make them the top of a fiefdom or some kind of bureaucratic silo. Pay them well if that's what they're worth, but they are in service to the teams. So the team makes a decision when they know they need input because I don't want to be a marketing expert. We have one on hand. Aren't we lucky? We never had one of those before, mm -hmm. and, but we're never going to give them a fiefdom. We'll pay them wonderfully, right? Whatever their market worth is, but we're not allowing fiefdoms to build. We're making sure that the clarity that we are in service to what drives value delivery on here is never lost. We're not in mm. service to you growing your empire. Right. Wow. Okay. And I just want to pause here for a second and say, if you're listening to this and saying, yeah, but we're not a small company or we're not in scale mode, we're a large company, this still applies. Listen to what Mike's telling you here. This still applies to you if you're working in a big organization. This is what your business leaders are looking for when they're saying, we want to move faster. We want more. We want better results. This is how you get that. So you treat your big, huge, slow-moving organization. You change the model. You transform the way you do the work you do 
to treat it more like it's in a scale up mode. And that way you can do more with the people you have instead of the constant, we have a resource problem. We don't have enough resources, right? This is changing the whole conversation as they stop throwing bodies at it. There's another way to solve this problem. Stop empire building or creating these fiefdoms where everyone's just focused on the number of bodies they have reporting to them, as opposed to how can we actually get more done? This is about scale and every organization needs this because every organization, every time I go speak on a stage, I'm like, who here thinks they have a resource problem? They don't have enough resources. Every hand in the room goes up that, and everyone thinks that's the problem. This is a different way to solve that. Even if you're in a large company where you think, oh, well, everything's number one priority. We all have a resource problem. We don't have enough resources. How about we change the whole model and change the whole organizational structure around how these project teams and product teams work so that they have the best minds coming into them as opposed to the 15 layers of approvals up and down organizational structures to get anything done. I love it. I love it. And by the way, Elon Musk sent a memo to his employees at Tesla maybe a year ago or so. It was grabbed by all the business magazines and heralded as this awesome wisdom. And it's basically a memo saying, if you know you have the right decision, don't wait to like send it up the flagpole and then have that senior leader check with one of their peers and then it goes back down the other flagpole and then like right. three departments are impacted. So now we've got to get another VP in the room to talk about it. Like if you know it's the right decision, just make it. And if any of your bosses get mad that you didn't consult them first, you didn't run it up the flagpole first, you send them to me. <laughs> I love like, it. <laughs> so, so it's great, except it's a bandaid on the problem. Yeah. You set things up. You set up the fiefdoms. You yeah. set up the reporting chains. You, yeah. You made it so that if someone wanted to make a decision that they're not sure their boss agrees with, that now they have to wonder if their boss will feel like they just went over their head and now there's going right. to be some conflict and, and now Elon Musk might fire me. Right, right, exactly. And you don't exactly. have to build it that way. So I argue there's a better way. And let's dive right into the core foundational technique here, which you can Google. It's not super well-known or taught like in management classes, but it is growing. It is taking root for all the positives we've discussed. And it's called leadership as a service or last. Yeah, last. Yep. But if, you know, software as a service is SaaS, right? This is sort of like that. But it's different, very different than the usual vague notions of servant leadership that we hear a lot mm. about. <laughs> yes, this is servant leadership, but this is a very specific technique. And the way it basically works is if you have a group of five people that are really close to the value delivery, some core product team, right? They need to make a decision. In fact, let's imagine they need to make a decision today. Mm -hmm. and it might be a major pivot decision. Do we address the top end of the market or the middle end of the market? Because mm. with this next feature set in our software product, let's say, it's going to appeal to one at the expense of the other. And that's a big strategic decision. Okay, well, make the decision. Well, wait, who's in charge? What if we don't agree? Well, you rotate the leadership to whoever's in charge. It's just by alphabetical last name starting from Z to A, or I don't know, whatever method you want, doesn't matter, as long as the rotation is honored. And that person's job is not to make the decision. That person's job is to listen as the rest of the team tries to come up with the decision. Oh, interesting. If the team does unanimously come up with the right decision and the leader disagrees with it, too bad. The team made the decision, honor it. Right. Wow. It might be the wrong decision. We'll learn later all the reasons why we should have done what the leader's instinct told them. But the reality is the team has more wisdom than one person. Mm. So even if sometimes the team won't make the best decision, all startups have this experience where, yeah, we made a bunch of dumb decisions and we learned from all of them. 
and we failed right. fast, we moved forward and we thrived. Right. Keep that. That's what we're trying to keep, right? Okay. Now, if the team cannot come up with a decision in say, and again, we have to make it quick. So let's say we give five minutes for debate. I need a decision in minute six and you don't have one. You can't come to unanimous agreement. Then I, as the leader, decide. I've listened to all the arguments. I, of course, may have my own biases that I'm pondering as I weigh the decision. I make it. And again, it might be a wrong one or a bad one or a suboptimal one, but we made it quick. We made it as a team and we're going to learn from it and we're going to move on to the next one. So I love the idea of that. I can hear the yeah, but monsters crawling up on the shoulders of our impact drivers listening, going, yeah, but in my culture, we have the whole, you're going to get in trouble or you can't make that decision. How do you help them with that? Before we keep going, I just want to address sure. the, Even that the, question, the yeah, but it, monster. It makes me want to share like a funny story. I have no idea if it's true, but I bet it is. Apparently, <laughs> Einstein was teaching a bunch of PhD students, some advanced math. And none of the students were getting it. These are brilliant Princeton yeah. you know, mathematicians, right? Getting their PhD. And right. they would ask all these questions. And Einstein said, okay, let me try a different approach and try and explain it differently. And he would, you know, 20 minutes later, he'd ask his students, so does that click yet? And they'd all look at him and say, no. And he'd try something else. And this got super frustrating after a while, right? Yeah. And finally, one of the students just kind of sighed in frustration, like resigning, and just said, I just have so much difficulty with this professor. And Einstein's famous response was, I promise you, your difficulties pale in comparison to my own. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's my way of saying the yeah buts monsters were raging in my brain too. So I promise you some of the yeah buts have challenged me as well. But let's get to some of them. I think the biggest elephant in the room, which is if you are already a large bureaucratic organization with all the silos and the giant hierarchical org chart and all that, the yeah, but I've heard that I actually agree with or am sensitive to and don't have a great answer to solve is, but that would mean we'd have to fire 70% of our managers around here Mm. or convince them all to give up their staffs and just be an individual contributor, like expert person. That might feel like a loss of status to them, even though we're paying them the same and we're giving them a chance to be higher impact to more teams with better expertise and input that might enable all of us to thrive more. The reality is I used to oversee and lord over an empire and I was building that on my resume where I managed progressively larger teams. Right. And now I can't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, which is why I'm much more focused on scale-ups, frankly. You haven't right. built the bureaucracy yet. You have a chance to avoid having to tear it down later. Right. And go through some right. of the bloody decisions. The only large organizations I've seen take this seriously are ones that are under such massive threat, like to their very existence, that they know they're going to have to downsize no matter what they do. They cannot afford right. the payroll. Right. They are not profitable. They have to do something to right the ship. This is a good way that our impact drivers listening could bring a different approach to the table, a different idea to the table, so that they, one, don't just repeat this, do cuts, and then repeat the same bad behaviors, and two, it could be, I could see places where this could be done creatively, starting on a small scale. Like, well, how about just the projects that your PMO, your strategy delivery office is responsible for managing? Maybe you can organize the people differently. Maybe you can pull the managers in to this model because listen, a lot of these managers, they want to be remembered for how smart they are, right? And they want their expertise brought to bear. They want to be asked advice. 
So maybe they can play a subject matter expert role. It doesn't mean we have to get rid of them as a manager, but maybe on the projects that you are responsible for, you can pull them in in a role other than the only decision maker, but for their expertise, helping them understand that their expertise is needed. If they're a sponsor, for example, they should be providing expertise and helping to support decisions. And you can coach them through these models and these behaviors. And then when you start performing and the projects that are part of your strategy delivery team or PMO are performing really well, people are going to wonder, well, why did that happen? What are they doing differently? You've created these self-managed, self-guided teams with more of, like you said, leadership as a service model. And it seems to be working. If you're in a big bureaucratic organization, you don't have to do this organization-wide. Just start with one area. Start with the project that you're responsible for. Imagine you're overseeing a part of the organization that has three managers overseeing 50 people. And you feel like you just need another two managers but you can't get the budget approved. Right. Perfect chance to try, like rather than just load up all your managers with all the extra people, try actually having the people manage themselves. Right. I love it. Yes, exactly. So this is a really interesting model, even if you're in a large organization, but let's go back to, so that's some of the challenges there, but can we talk a little bit more about, I really want to address though, for the places where this does make sense to use it, are there limits to how scalable this model can be before some kind of hierarchy has to be embraced, right? Like how big can you scale without some kind of organizational structure? So the short answer, of course, is it depends. Let me start with an example of where I stumbled across this myself, where it just worked in a very natural way to small scale and then took hold and started to scale. And it was before I even learned about the fact that there is this established technique called leadership as a service. Right. Sort of experimenting and groping in the dark to sort of do it halfway, right? It was a central conflict that I think a lot of organizations have, and that is, well, we embraced Agile and Scrum. That's supposed to be a self-managed team. We like the notion of a self-managed team, and it sounds like this podcast is embracing that. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. But what about my project managers? I have some excellent project managers. Does that mean like they just convert to Scrum masters? Does that mean we make them advisors? People don't report to them anymore. They can't tell anyone what to do anymore. Like, what does this mean? Right. And I think what it means is just like when the team might not have marketing or finance or other expertise, a project manager absolutely has expertise in doing things like a scope, schedule, cost trade-off. Right. That's expertise that's honed. It might be intuitive and you've done it since you were junior PM, but it's something that nobody ever has perfected. It's something we can always be better at. And it deals with questions about possibilities and the future and things we don't have concrete answers for. Like if we accelerate this by week, will we double revenue? I don't know, but maybe, especially if it's a product for dad before Father's Day or, you know, well, let's get a PM in here to analyze this and inform that decision, but we're still going to let the team make it. Right. So even there, the PM is a servant leader. They're not ordering anyone around or directing anyone. They're not maintaining the master schedule even necessarily, unless the team says, you know what? We'd love you to maintain a master schedule. Right. (laughs) Keep us all on track. That'll be a real service to the team. Right. (laughs) Well, that came up in our mastermind coaching group today, this morning, because they were talking about like, well, what if you are really hitting a lot of resistance with like, this is typical. People are saying, well, this is an agile organization and we don't do documentation and we don't need plans and we don't need this. And I was like, well, what do they need? Why don't you talk to them about their pain? And instead of trying to shove stuff at them, they don't think they need. When they start complaining about what they don't have, that's where you come in and help. You don't shove things at them they don't need. And it turns out they did actually want to plan. 
they did want help with that because they were having trouble keeping on schedule and they needed somebody that was helping to guide them. But it didn't mean it wasn't this command and control like management from the top. That's what they were resisting, right? And frankly, from a decision-making perspective, the project manager shouldn't be making decisions anyway. I've always believed that they should be facilitating the decision-making process, not making those decisions anyway. It's not their plan. It's not their project. It's not their decisions. They're the master facilitators. And that doesn't mean they're admins. They have a very important strategic role in guiding this ship and making sure everybody remembers they're actually trying to get to outcomes, not just create a bunch of deliverables and outputs. So I know you mentioned that about the decisions. I'm like, they shouldn't be making the decisions anyway. So I think this is a perfect play for project managers doing the role that they actually should be doing. A self-managed team still needs somebody that's kind of, I like to think of it as like, the guardrails, right? You still put the guardrails up to support accelerating getting to those business outcomes. And you know what? The team will ask for the guardrails at the right time too. They'll feel the pain when somebody yeah. goes to the road and says, I sure wish there had been a guardrail there. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. They go driving off the road, like it gets so a little then, bumpy. <laughs> so the question is, has a scale and, and it actually does scale more easily than most imagine, but I do think yeah. there are limits. One type of scaling is, okay, I'm a large enough organization. I need a bunch of marketing experts advising teams. I need a bunch of PMs advising on scope, schedule, cost trade-offs. I need a bunch of finance experts. I need a bunch of this and a bunch of that. So they all have their own communities and they all have to gather with their communities and say, what are the challenges you're facing from your team? Are those the same challenges the rest of us are facing? Oh, no, actually, they're a little different. Well, how do we harmonize a common approach that might help everyone? Or do we want to avoid harmonizing? Because that's too much of a straitjacket. But either way, we're not talking about the things we're already functionally expert in. And then leaders of the team meet with other teams, right? And again, it's not a single dedicated leader. It's a rotational leader. Right. This month, I need to attend the monthly senior architect meeting. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn about all the problems that the team's architects are facing on architecture challenges. We're going to talk about whether we're building too many siloed things and not something that's truly going to help the enterprise. And as long as we have a clear signal, like, say, profit on on whether these decisions that we're making are good or bad for the whole organization, again, we meet as a team of architects and discuss it. We can meet as a team of testers, a team of developers, you name it. But that kind of leadership is still needed, right? The functional leadership. But you don't need a functional leader to sit on top of it all. Right. Right. And really, the only limits to scale I see are if the same people end up just gravitating toward participating in the rotations more than other people because mm-hmm. the other people aren't interested. Just let me go do my development work. I don't really want to sit in another management meeting, coordinating with other teams, not my thing. So it is possible that at some point they'll say, you know what, you're right. I don't want to force people into a rotational role that's not suited for them. Maybe it's time to judiciously select some kind of management structure that has a layer or two, but not 10, right? Yeah. They can help keep the people that are doing the value delivery focused on value delivery. And as long as they feel like they still get to make decisions that help the organization thrive without running everything up the flagpole for an approval, I think some of that hierarchy can be optimal. Right. Well, that's what I was just thinking. As I'm sitting here listening to you talk about all this, I'm imagining the group of architects or the group of engineers, the group of the tech people that are used to just being told what to do that are now empowered to influence the outcomes. And I love that because so many of them are brilliant and have so much to bring to the table, but they're being stifled right now and not giving that opportunity 
to be a part of the solution. It's being changes being done to them, not with them. They're becoming order takers instead of impact drivers. They, a lot of them have so much more they can bring to the table and want to be impact drivers, but nobody gives them that chance. There's, this is an opportunity for those that are the natural leaders, for those that can step up and step into this role to do that and to do so. And by the way, how much more invested are they going to be on a day-to-day basis with the work they're doing if they actually are a part of the decision-making process and influencing the outcomes? It's a game changer. That's how you scale. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, there are examples of some of this in big hierarchies like the U.S. Navy, where mm-hmm. you've seen some of the work of a retired Captain David Marquet, who wrote the book, Turn This Ship Around. He took mm-hmm. over a submarine, I think it was, and they were like the worst performing in almost every measure. And he had to fix it quick, right? Mm-hmm. He was under a lot of pressure as the leader to just tell everyone what to do, fix this, fix that, put that in place. That's broken. I don't like that. That's not up to snuff. But he did the opposite. And he's great when he speaks about this. He says, I had to go against everything I was trained to do in the military to just yeah. issue commands. I'm a commander. <laughs> like, right. that's, that's what and right. so, like, well, sir, we have this emergency down in the engine room. We do this, 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 or that. I don't know. What do you think we should do? Uh, nobody's ever asked me that question before. Right. I don't know how to answer it. Well, if you had to figure out how to answer it, what would you do first? These things oh, you need a leader to help your team grow those muscles. Yeah. Atrophied so badly, they've they've never had them in the first place. And he, long story short, he turned that sub performance around from worst to first in six months. Wow. Even better, better, in my opinion, as somebody who's a beneficiary of our Navy, right? Mm -hmm. And the services it Mm -hmm. provides, he was growing future leaders. Yeah. Yeah. If none of those people ever had to make that decision before and suddenly they're promoted to captain, what are they going to do? They're going to goof it up. Mm -hmm. Right. They're going to do trial and error until they get it right. Wouldn't it be great if they'd already had that experience, trial and error, getting it right already? Right. And that's the thing is it's, I'm just going back to so many of the people that are in these roles want that opportunity, but nobody ever bothers to ask. And we just throw more management at it, throw more bodies at it instead of actually trying to solve the problem, which is every single person has something that they can contribute beyond just doing tasks. And if we can find a way to elevate everybody then you're going to be able to do more faster and you don't have to throw people at it. You can just elevate the people you already have and give them the opportunities to thrive. Yeah, and if you're going to throw any people at it at all, throw a couple experts that your team is saying they need. Right. I don't know how to make this decision without marketing input. I'm not a marketeer. Okay, let's get you that. (laughs) Right, exactly. Easy enough. So you build a culture of consultants and advisors and enable everybody to be a part of the actual business outcomes. I think a lot of business leaders don't realize that the reason that people in their organization are going too slow or they don't get it is because you're not giving them the chance to get it. Give them the opportunity to actually be a part of it, understand what the strategy is. Don't just throw it over the fence at them and say, here, figure it out. Help them understand the strategy, help them understand the business goals that you're trying to achieve, and then let them help you figure out how to get there. You do that and you're going to see scale and true scale. Scale and profit, scale and impact, scale and driving better business outcomes, scale and helping your customers, not just scale and resources. And scale, that you're and, scale and growing future leaders that already know how to make these decisions. Right. Oh my gosh. That's excellent. Wow. Well, there you have it. I mean, that's, <laughs> I think that's simple enough, right? I really appreciate you taking time to talk about this today. I hope that all of you impact drivers listening are really taking this seriously because there is a role each of you must, not can, not should, must 
be playing in your organization to get, you want a seat at the table, you have to become an impact driver for your organization. And the way you do that is you offer solutions that they haven't already thought of. If you're in an organization that can't figure out how to scale and it's trying to grow and you can't quite get it right, or you're even in a bureaucratic organization that can't seem to get anything done, this, all these ideas we're sharing here in this leadership as a service model can absolutely help with that. Great. And so in closing, I'll just echo Kara Lawson. It doesn't get yes. easier. You got to do hard better. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And all of you impact drivers have heard that from me for more than 200 episodes now. You've got to learn how to do hard better because hard is where they need you. The hard stuff is where you shine. You know how to do hard things. You're not afraid to do hard things, but it doesn't mean you're just quote unquote busy all the time. It means that you're finding better, smarter ways to make a bigger impact. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you on all of the things. And thank you for sharing some really cool insights. It's so fun to be able to work with you with our clients and solving these specific kinds of challenges. And I'm looking forward to seeing how all of those listening are making a bigger impact by learning how to scale impact and profits, not just a bureaucracy. That's it for this episode. I look forward to hearing your input. Come find us on LinkedIn. Share your thoughts after you've listened to this episode and make sure you hit subscribe and download these podcasts so that they're with you no matter where your high impact journey takes you. Bye-bye for now.